Luke chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Right, is being a a disciple of Jesus really worth it? Well, that's a bit like asking a farmer, is working on the land worth the isolation? Right, for some folk, they could never be be a farmer because, you know, for them, that's too far away from the shops or too far away from a major airport or they might be worried that they can't get a good coffee every day or two or three times a day. Now, I personally don't understand that because I don't like coffee. Um, For some folk, it'll be too far away from the family or too far away to a medical specialist or whatever. But so what? Like a true farmer, they wouldn't be anything else. How could they be? Because they feel that they were born to work and live on the land. So, being a follower of Jesus, is that worth it? What a silly question. Of course it is. Uh, but be in no doubt, being a disciple of Jesus comes with a cost. And it's a significant cost. But this is what we have been called to be. This is what we have been born to be, followers of Jesus. And it all hinges on the fact of who Jesus is. Right, so, so Jesus has just asked his disciples who they reckon he is, and Peter gave the answer, you're the Christ of God. And yes, Peter, you're spot on. But last week, we, we talked about how the kingdom of God turns everything on its head. Now, you'd think that if Jesus is, is the Christ, if Jesus is the chosen, anointed one of God, then yay, good times for Jesus, right? But the thing is... Jesus, as the Christ, came as the suffering servant. And for God's plan to be fulfilled, it was entirely necessary for Jesus to suffer and be rejected. And he was absolutely rejected, even and probably most so by those who are supposed to be closest to God. And it was necessary for Jesus to be killed and to be raised back to life again on the third day. That was the cost of our forgiveness and the cost of our reconciliation with God. Jesus being nailed to the cross. It was after his death, in his resurrection, that he was glorified. And his full glorification will come 
when he returns again at his second coming. So that was sort of what we covered last week. Today, we're moving on to think about what this means for disciples of Jesus. The fact that Jesus suffered and died makes available for us the wonderful, wonderful free gift of forgiveness of sins and salvation. The free gift of having eternal life in glory with Christ Jesus. Beauty, good times for Jesus' disciples, right? Well, yes, from an eternal perspective, yes, good times for Jesus' disciples. But Jesus said, and we're told here that he said it to all. I think that's Luke's way of saying, hey, this isn't just for those special first apostles. Jesus is saying this to everyone who would follow him. Right? So this is for you and I as well. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. Yes, Jesus paid the price for our salvation. And as such, being saved is a free gift. But living as the saved people of God means following after Christ as Christ. Right? The way of Christ is the suffering servant. Being a disciple of Jesus is a life of self-denial. Any gospel that gets preached today, if it doesn't include denial of self, it's not the gospel. There might be a message of self-centeredness, self-gratification, self-preservation, self-achieving, self-betterment. For a disciple of Jesus, all of this self-improvement type preaching, becoming the best self you can be, it's a nonsense. The way of Christ is denial of self. And it's a denial of self to the extreme. We, we take up our cross daily to follow Jesus. Now, for us, we see the cross as something glorious. Je Jesus is our only experience of what we know about the cross. But he's, to these first disciples that he's speaking to, they've seen it before, maybe many times. It is highly likely that every one of those disciples at some time or maybe multiple times have seen a man led by a small group of soldiers taken out of town as he carries his own cross. And they knew what that meant. To carry a cross was a very public thing. It was a thing of shame. A person carrying a cross was an object of ridicule and scorn. A person carrying a cross was someone whom the world had condemned, and we don't want your kind around here anymore. It was someone who had no future in the world. Their life was forfeit. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to be prepared for that. Now, I sometimes ponder this, that Jesus, he wasn't a very good salesman. I mean... Many evangelists today, when they preach the gospel, they, they proclaim all of the good things. Forgiveness, eternal life, your status as a child of God, who you are in Christ. 
And they might even start adding extra bits. Oh, what you can get if you're a Christian and, and how much wonderful things are going to be. And God has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life. And it's all designed to appeal to one's sense of being needed and telling them how wonderful their life is going to be from this point on. Right? So that's what a salesman does. They talk up their product, but the cost, not so much. I, know, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the online sales stuff that we get at the moment, they have in bigger numbers the how much a week it's going to cost you, not how much it's going to cost, if you know what I mean. They're not upfront about the cost. But that's not the sort of preacher that Jesus was. Jesus was upfront right from the start. If you want to be a follower of mine, you need to know the cost right up front. Your life is forfeit. You no longer live for this world. In fact, in the eyes of others, being a disciple of Jesus is a thing of ridicule and scorn. You will lose out. You'll miss out on many things because you're a Christian. You will give up many of your worldly hopes and dreams. You may even lose your physical life. You may be killed for following Jesus. Still interested? I know um, when I was 18, I think I was, I had a constantly recurring dislocating shoulder and I went to an orthopaedic surgeon to see if he could fix it. And, and um, I think he's still practicing. His name's Dr. Pun. He's a doctor in Toowoomba. And um, he sort of goes through all of the things that could go wrong. And that's the mainly what he talked about. Well, I could cut this nerve and you might have no use of your fingers or I could cut, cut this bit and you won't be able to use your arm or this could happen and you could get an infection and then we have to amputate your arm or, or this could happen and then you could die. Still want the operation? And it was like, um, I suppose so. <laughs> I suppose so. And it's sort of a bit like that. Jesus is really up front. All of this stuff could happen. Do you still want to follow me? And let's not play this down. Losing one's life for the sake of being a disciple of Jesus is not rare. It might be in Australia, but it's not rare. Stephen was the first one who, that we know of who, who died for his faith. But it'd be a pretty fair bet that somewhere in the world today, at least one person is going to lose their life for Jesus. Many are in jail because they won't give up their faith. Many are being imprisoned because they preached the name of Jesus to a world that doesn't want to hear it. This sort of stuff is not rare. You see, the kingdom of God, it turns everything on its head, and you need to know this. Otherwise, you're not going to understand why the cost is worth it. As a disciple of Jesus, for you, the kingdom of God turns everything on its head. Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I've had a discussion with, with somebody once a while back. Um, it was during all of the ISIS stuff. So, you know, when, when ISIS went through and they'd come into a village and Christian village and say, you have to renounce Jesus and become a Muslim. 
And if they didn't, firstly, they would torture their children. And if they still didn't, then they would kill them. And somebody said to me, oh, I think I would just say that I recanted from Jesus, but I just wouldn't, in my heart, in my heart I'd still be a Christian. Yeah, I don't think that actually cuts it. That's not, I don't think that's the answer Jesus is looking for. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, the, why do we have that earthly perspective? I, I will do this bit to save my life. I won't really deny Jesus because I, I need to save my life. You see, the earthly perspective is there's nothing more valuable than your life. True? Pretty much? Yeah? But what is a life worth? I can actually give you an answer for that. In Australia, your life is worth $5.3 million. Did you know that? Nobody knew that? Okay. Or to extend your life for one year is worth $220,000. Seriously, the Australian government have something called a, a value of a statistical life, a VSL. Um, and, they, and they revise it every year or two to work out what, it, what it's worth, right? And they use these, this statistic for when they're working out, doing a cost-benefit analysis for, for various projects or what, whatever, right? So, for instance, if a particular road project is expected to save 10 lives over the next five years by making that piece of road safer, safer they, they can put a value on that. Okay, $5.3 million per person, 10 lives, $53 million. We could spend $53 million on this and it'll be worth it. $52 million, no, not worth it. You with me? That's, that's how they use this. Um, now, of course, in some countries, and this is the bit that I find obscene, in some countries, the value of a statistical life is non-existent. Right? A, a life might be statistically only worth a few cents in another country. Now, how obscene is that? That another person is worth a few cents, but we're worth $5.3 million simply because we live in Australia. And our governments are, are getting really concerned um, with the rising cost of health care for our ageing population. And it's going to rise massively. If keeping a 90-year-old alive until they're 91 is worth $220,000, you can just imagine what our healthcare system is going to do. But, but this is all because we have such a high value on life. And um, so we're very happy that our government throws bucket loads of money at keeping us alive for as long as they possibly can. And we Australians, we, we, like all other wealthy countries, get hooked on the age-old quest for a long life. We want to be eternally young. We want to somehow switch off the ageing gene. We want to get older. We want to live longer. And so, of course, there's, there's always the anti-ageing treatment salespeoples and various therapies and snake oil salesmen who are making a killing, pardon the pun. I intended the pun. Um, they're making a killing selling their goods to people who are hoping to extend their lives a bit. 
And the amount of money being spent on that in our economy now is enormous. And sadly, many Christians fall for the same thing, that having a long life is the most important thing that we can have. No, it's not. It isn't. The kingdom of God turns all of that on its head. As Christians, we hold very loosely to this life. We're only passing through this life anyway. And for many, simply being a follower of Jesus is dangerous. And so the earthly perspective is there is nothing more valuable than your life. But the kingdom of God turns all of that on its head because the one thing that Jesus is telling us is that's what we give up. Deny yourself. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And take up your cross because we don't dwell on this life. We focus on Christ and being with Christ in eternity, with the eternal life that he gives us. If my life is more important to me than Christ Jesus, then that's a pretty fair indicator that he isn't my Lord. I'll say that again. If my life is more important to me than Christ Jesus, that's a pretty fair indicator that he isn't my Lord. This is what Jesus meant when he said, whoever would save his life will lose it. Yes, if by denying Jesus I might save my life, but lose eternal life. If this physical life is more important to me than Jesus, then eternal life isn't on my agenda. But that doesn't mean that we then take up all new and dangerous hobbies because we can, might have fun and speed our way to be with Jesus. So we don't take up base jumping and motorbike racing and Russian roulette for fun. All of them <laughs> thinking that we might end our lives that little bit sooner. It's not about that. What we're talking about here is following Jesus and proclaiming the gospel and baptizing believers, even if this is a dangerous thing to do, and even if we're despised for doing it. It's about standing strong in our faith, no matter what. Let's move on. Verse 25 says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. Now, I'm going to have to keep on saying this. The kingdom of God perspective is so different to what's considered normal. It's not uncommon for a person, as they near the end of their lives, to reevaluate everything that they've gone through in their lives. And it's not uncommon for them to have regrets. I wish I'd spent less time at work and more time with my family. I wish I'd spent less time making money and more time enjoying what I already had. I wish I'd taken more time just to have fun and have a few new experiences. It's, it's a revaluation of their life choices with the benefit of hindsight. And, we, and many of us might hear these things and go, oh yeah, that's wise words. Less, less working, more family time, more fun time, more special treats, more special experiences, new, trying new things, right? And, and, and oh, that would make life so much nicer. 
But I've noticed that in, in many cases, as people reassess their priorities, which is the world's way, at this later stage of their life, they're still craving things of the flesh. It's still about self. It's just changed from what they've lived before because at this new stage in life, they, they're satisfied by different things. But it's still about self. See, if a person structures their life for gain, and usually when we talk about gain, we might just think of financial stuff, right? More money, more stuff. But there's all sorts of other gain. A person might structure their life for financial gain, or they might structure it for physical gain, like they might want to get fit and have a life of health and fitness, or they might structure their life for relational gains. I'm going to have more friends, more important friends, and, and um, just spend time with people. Or they might structure it for experiences. I, I want to have new and fun experiences, do things I've never thought of before. And, or they might structure it for an increase in fame or to get an increase in recognition. Or it might just be simply about having an increase in general satisfaction. Now, if a person structures their life for gain for self, what profit is there in that? If you are not living your life for Jesus, you can gain everything that you set your heart on. Everything except for the one thing that's really important. And even if you get through to the end of your life and go, oh, I've made some bad choices. Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to change my life and focus on these things now. If we're still not focusing on Jesus, we've missed the only thing that's important. And such a person may lose or forfeit himself. And in the Greek, behind those two words, lose and forfeit, one is about destruction. One may lose himself like you lose a house in a fire. And the other is about something which decreases and decreases in value to become worthless. See, the kingdom of God turns everything upside down all the right way up. You might be living what you think is your best life and you might have achieved it, but in doing so, lost eternal life. Or your heavenly reward is so decreasing in value, it's become worthless. Something I'm reminded of over and over again is that obediently following Jesus will always, always involve denying self. The Lord may be calling you to step out and serve him. The Lord may be calling you to make some major changes to your life that you never imagined that you would, could think of. What are you going to do? Well, the choice is easy. You give up everything to follow Jesus. But you might say to me, but hang on, Michael, I've got so much to lose. I've got so much happening here, and it's stuff that God has given, it's stuff that God is involved in. You know what? Jesus sums up the discipleship dilemma so simply. Do you want to gain the whole world? At what cost? 
But you might say, I, I don't want the whole world, I just want this, just this one little thing. Well, the answer remains the same. If the whole world isn't worth the cost of denying Jesus, how insignificant is that one little thing that you want to hold on to, given the cost? Jesus then goes on to speak in terms of being ashamed of him and his words. If we're ashamed of Jesus, he'll be ashamed of us when he comes in his glory. I find it hard to believe that in our culture things have changed so much um, in my short life. And the risk of sounding like an old person, and in the crowd that I am in today, I really am an old person. Um, in this day and age of social media and stuff, we have become a society who get their jollies by slinging shame upon others. And some of the most vocal and the most public shaming is of Christians. Those Christians. Horrible people. So judgmental, those Christians. Seriously, do they listen to themselves? Who's judgmental? And in this current world, many Christians have become ashamed to be Christians. They don't want anyone to know that they're a Christian. And churches and preachers are backing away from what the Bible teaches because people don't like it. Well, there's plenty of other parts of the Bible I can teach. I'll just stay away from the bits that other people don't like. And even the teachings of Christ, they stay away from those because the world hate it. And the preachers, they want to be liked by people. They want to be thought of as being inclusive. And they want to be popular in the world. They, and they definitely do not want to be at the end of some kind of multimedia public shaming campaign. And many Christians who do proclaim the word of God are publicly shamed. And we're going to see more and more of that. But this shouldn't be a surprise. Although the world tell us that they sort of admire Jesus, it's only their version of Jesus they admire. The world does not like the real Jesus. It never has. They crucified the real Jesus. And that's why they'll hate us too. Because we carry the words of Jesus. We carry the gospel of Jesus. This gospel which is one of the most offensive things. Nobody wants to be told they're a sinner in need of a saviour. They never have. But to us, it's what brings life. So let's not be ashamed of Jesus. Even if the world shames us, do not be ashamed of our Lord. If we don't hold firm to our faith and proclaim his name to this world, he'll be ashamed of us. If we don't want to know Jesus, or if we don't want anyone to know that we know Jesus, or if we're not willing to share the word of Jesus, He's going to be ashamed of us. See, in the kingdom of God, we're looking forward to glory. When Jesus, the Son of Man, comes in his glory 
and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And you know what? Some of those disciples who were with Jesus that day, some of them actually got to see a hint of this only eight days later when Moses and Elijah appeared before them and Jesus was transfigured. And they saw and they caught a glimpse of the glory of Jesus. He shone white. And that was like, wow, we, we really don't know what to do here. And they got to see another hint of the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus when Jesus was raised from the dead. These were just little tasters. They're just a little hint of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God and the coming glory of Jesus. And that is what we're waiting for. Well, that's just what I'm waiting for. Is anyone else waiting for that? Good on you, Kate. You too, Lauren. Oh, and Jake. And the other 150 people here, for those on the video. That's what we're waiting for. With our eyes fixed on him and his glory. That's how, with joy, we take up our cross every day to follow Jesus. No matter what the danger. No matter what the ridicule. No matter how much somebody is going to shame us for doing it. Denying self and, and not holding back. And not hiding the faith that we hold. And praying, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. We thank you for the free gift of salvation. We thank you that you've called us, that you have washed us clean, you've made us holy, you are making us transforming us to become like your son in righteousness and holiness. All a free gift of Jesus. But Lord, you are our everything. Worth giving up everything to follow you. And Lord, I pray that you will keep us strong in the faith that we would never deny Jesus, that we would never be ashamed of Jesus, that we would, make, that we would deny ourselves and, and make all of those changes in our lives that, you know, as the world would perceive, we might be not so well off. But we do these changes so that we can follow you and be obedient to you to fulfil the purpose that you have before us. And Lord, we look forward to your coming and we pray, come Lord Jesus, bring your kingdom and we welcome you with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.